So, uh, how are you doing? Yeah, you doing okay? Are you down at all, a little depressed with the world and how things are going? Or anxious? How many feel a little anxious with uh, going and seeing uh, the price on the pump? It's like, uh, that's what my kids' braces should cost. I didn't think that's what... Like, how is it that expensive? Or you see the... I, I don't even look. Debbie asked me yesterday, how do you think our retirement's doing? Don't ask. I'm not looking. Just going to let it ride. Let's keep it on red. I've got about as much chance of that coming out well. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at it, how many felt like we were just getting through the whole COVID thing and things were looking up and then it just felt like the minute our nose got above water, this big tsunami of just mayhem descended on us with the war in Ukraine and the gas prices and on and on and on. How many feel like you're just poised, waiting for the judgment of God to be poured out on our nation? Anybody, anybody feel that way at all? Like, wow, we're going down fast. We're going down fast. So this feels like the judgment of God at times. I'd like to cheer you up today. I'd like to. Um, I am going to cheer you up a little today because I think there is, there is good news uh, that, that we have. Uh, not going to be a rose-colored glasses sort of sermon. I'm not saying that, but I believe that in the midst of Sin City, and I'm just kind of using that as a broad term for the world in which we live and how it's in sin and how it's sinking pretty quickly and we feel ourselves sort of like going down as the water level rises or whatever the case, however you want to do the metaphor. But um, yeah, that in the midst of that, that, the Christian has a place of peace and satisfaction and joy and, and and, and that God, in effect, can buoy us up. And yes, that's a little bit of a play on words, but not an, uh, you know, not an audacious one. It really is a good word, to buoy up. Those that don't know, that's my last name, buoy. But um, anyway, to, 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 that, that God can buoy us up in the midst of that sinking sin city in which we live. Christ can do that. That's the big idea today. He can buoy us up. Um, now, if I heard a pastor say this, going into this passage, I'd think, I'm not sure exactly where he's getting this from, and I might be a little skeptical, and I might think it's sort of this moral therapeutic deism that you hear about, where we're just, you know, like we're modern people, and we want to hear things that, that make us feel better, and this is just one of those kinds of sermons. To, no, it, that's, that's not what's happening here. I, I assure you, and you'll see this, because the remedies, the helps that Christ gives us are antithetical to how the world thinks about how we deal with stress and difficulties and so forth. I started with the text. This is where I got to. If you want to take issue with it, that's fine. But I, do want, I, I just want to assure you I'm not taking an idea and then reading the text into it. I started with the text, and I think this will come out. Here's the backdrop. Paul was at Athens. You remember Athens, good old Athens. Athens was exactly what you sort of thought of as Athens. It was the home of philosophy. It had, therefore, in it a bunch of um, philosophers. Uh, and there were Epicureans, and there were Stoics, and other kinds of philosophies. And, and that was a heady academic environment filled with also just a ton of idols. They sort of had both of those things happening. That was Athens. And then Paul goes to Corinth. And that is a whole different matter altogether. Corinth is like, I'm not going to say it's the antithesis of Athens, but it's not Athens, okay? It's a, it was a seaport. It had a huge population of a couple hundred thousand. It was prosperous, wealthy. It was on a trade route. route. The temple of the goddess, you ready? Aphrodite, you remember her, 
was prominently displayed in the city square. So uh, she's the god of, uh, of sexuality. Uh, was say, that, say it that way. Uh, it, was, it was a raucous, promiscuous, decadent, thriving city for the ancient world. If you took L.A. and Vegas and they had a baby, that's Corinth, okay? That's Corinth. That's, that's, that's the flavor I want you to understand. It was a sinful city. It was a hot mess. Paul has to write two letters to the Corinthian Christians because they're living in Sin City. They're, they're living in the midst of that, and they need, they need frequent correction and help because they're just they're surrounded by that. So here are the five things that we're going to look at, five ways that, that Christ can buoy us up. First of all, we can be buoyed up by the partnerships in Christ, by partnerships in Christ. Let's go back and look at the first few verses again, and I want you to just understand and see in that. Look for it as we read it. Look for the grace of God to Paul. The encouragement to Paul in these first few verses. It says, And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews, Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked with them, for they were tent makers by trade. Man, I just see God's mercy in that. I see Christ's love to Paul just bleeding through that. God is sovereign. God controls all things whatsoever cometh to pass. Claudius just happened to kick out the Jews. And we could go into why, but it doesn't really matter for the sake of what we're talking about today. He drove out, this was AD 49 that that happened. He sent them, sent them packing. It just so happened to work out that there just happened to be this couple named Aquila and Priscilla who just happened to be Jews, Roman Jews, Hellenized Jews, just like Paul, who just happened to also be tent makers. And he just happened to get them in Corinth. And then Paul just happened to find them there. And then, and what, in, what developed from that, without much difficulty, it didn't take much development if you think about it, it just landed there right in Paul's lap that he has this incredible connection and partnership. How perfect would that have been? Paul gets there, and we often hear the phrase tent maker missionary, and that's where we get it from, this, this idea that Paul would often work with his hands. And here he just like, have you ever had one of these things where a job just plops into your lap? Have you ever had one where it just plopped into your lap and then immediately your best friend became the person that you worked with because they were such a great person? God just happened to have them there. and they just, You just happened to connect on every level. How good is that? How wonderful is that? And they're, they're Christians. They're able to teach others. That's that. I mean, could you imagine a better bond that Paul could have found? Again, this is not during a time when the world's already been Christianized, understand. This is at the very beginning of all that. And yet that's what Paul finds there. Now, how many think that that would encourage you? Three of you. Okay. Uh, four, five, six. Okay, I'm not going to count. Um, you, you, I have such a deal for you on that. Because, you know, they're, they're, uh, you know we're, we don't live in Corinth, and that's not going to happen. But um, I know this place where you can find people like you, who love the Lord. Now, they may not be a tent maker like you. If that's your occupation, you may be the one person in here that has that job. But, but even if you don't connect on that level, you're going to connect on so many levels, chiefly that you know the Lord and that you're partners together in the gospel. That, that place is called 
The church, there you go. I knew you, I knew you knew it, right? You can see where I'm angling with this thing. I don't think I'm reading anything to the te- into the text at all here. We, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers, we have such a camaraderie that is there for us. Together, we get to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only message of salvation known to man. We get to, to, to share life. We get to share a pound of salt together. We get to encourage one another. It seems to me that what Christ provided for Paul, which I, I believe, if you just really look at it and think about it, it's just such a beautiful thing. Had to be such a, a healing, wonderful drink of water in the desert for him that God offers us that very same thing. You just need to find Aquila and Priscilla. May I just say, if you're, if you're listening to this today, I mean, most of you that I see here, you're probably pretty regular in your church attendance, so I'm not going to, like, hammer you over the head when you're already doing the right thing, and you can already give an amen to this because, like, you've found it to be true. But, man, if you're, if you're a Christian and you're wondering, why am I so down all the time? Why am I so anxious in the midst of all of this suffering and turmoil, mayhem? Isn't a Christian supposed to be able to rise above that to some extent? Well, yeah, but you need the church. You need believers. You need the Aquila and Priscilla. God didn't intend for you to march that march alone. You're supposed to be along with the rest of us, you know, um, whistling, I guess. Um, Number two, we can be buoyed up by our testimony for Christ. Now, if you look at this, this is the only place where I may be twisting it a little bit. Not viciously so. I didn't think I had to work very hard at this, but you'll see what I mean. At first, what happens on the objective isolated scale is not a positive. It is a negative here. And that is that though Paul had this wonderful connection with these two Jewish people, (laughs) you know, Quill and Priscilla, yet when you look at his ministry among the Jewish people there, he just slams right into a brick wall. It is utter frustration. We look at this. Um, Paul goes to the synagogue. It's his customary approach, and it says that he um, seeks to persuade them. As uh, when, when Silas and Timothy get there, they find Paul fully engaged in ministry. It says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. So he's telling the Jews, this is a very simple message, and you'll understand, they've been waiting for the Christ, the Messiah, this, the anointed one, and he says to them, good news, guess what? He's here. He's come. You guys are here in Corinth. You wouldn't know that, but back in the Holy Land, back in Israel, he came, he walked the face of the earth for three years, he, he preached the gospel, he was put to death, he was raised again, and I'm proclaiming that, that Jesus is the Christ, and the Christ is Jesus. And they went, no, that's we, we don't believe it. It says, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, what's Paul doing there when he shakes out his garment? It's kind of like the shaking the, the dust from the feet thing, isn't it? It's a little bit like it's a very prophetic kind of motion. It's saying, and he puts it into words, uh, he's quoting the Old Testament prophets here. He's, he's speaking of one who's set as a watchman on the wall. And God says, look, if you, if you blow the trumpet and the people don't rally and the enemy comes and destroys them, the blood's on them. Now, if you don't blow the trumpet, if you don't give them the word, if you don't warn them, then I'm, put, you know, I'm holding you accountable. So what is Paul saying here? I've, I've done my part. I've done everything I can. I've come. I've tried. I've, and you won't listen 
So the blood is on your own head. That doesn't mean that Paul is saying it's open season on Jews. Can I just be really clear about that now in case anybody thinks that, that hey, go find a Jew and the blood's on them. No. Uh, now, I only say that because through the centuries, there have been times when those that call themselves Christian have thought that way about the Jewish people. Like, ah, it's just open season, blood's on them. No, no. It just means that they are responsible for the decision they've made to reject Christ. Here's the thing. You're saying, well, this all sounds very negative, and I thought you were going to encourage us here. Um, this is the one thing that, that I see that's very encouraging, and that is, though on the one hand it, it, it is an abject failure in some respects with the Jewish people, yet there's the sense in which the, 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 the testimony of Paul goes on beyond that. When they reject him, he doesn't stop. He's not set back on his heels. He's not discouraged. He keeps proclaiming. When we survive hardship, when we are, we're always stronger for it. Think about in athletics here for a moment. I hope you're tracking with me. You'll get there if not. Uh, think about athletics. Isn't there a, a set principle in all athletics aside from bowling where um, I guess your thumb muscle gets built up there in bowling. I'm not really sure. Um, but, but when you use the muscle, when you, that, that the more you push something, that in effect what you're doing by stressing the body is, is to injure in order for the body to build back up stronger. Yes? You've never heard this before. Okay, I thought it was kind of common knowledge. But anyway, so um, what I'm saying is, is I believe that, that though Paul hit a brick wall, that Paul, and, and it bears out for the rest of the time he's in Corinth for a year and a half, that Paul only grows stronger through it. In our walk with the Lord, testifying to Christ has no real downside. You say, well, yeah, but people might reject me. Good. Good if they reject you. That's going to happen. You're going you're to run into people that reject you. And you know what? If you stand for Christ and you, and you are bold in your testimony and you stand and they reject you, you will grow because of that. You will grow. And guess what? You might win them to Christ. So there's no downside, is there? There's no downside whether they reject or do not reject. I've often heard it said of golfing, and uh, it's Father's Day, so I get to talk about golf from the pulpit. That was the, uh, that was the deal. But... <laughs> I like golf. Um, anyway, people that come to golf late in life like, like yours truly, I've heard this said by several people, and I think it's true. It just has to be true because it sounds true. <laughs> that is that, that when you come to golf as a child, a young person, that you come at it with a, with a whole different plasticity of, of mind and body, and that, that what kids do that adults don't do is kids play. So when they learn to golf, they're playing. And when you play, you, you have freedom. You try different things. You know, you take risks. They don't work out. You try them again. And, oh, that was fun. You know, but what happens when you're older and you come to golf or anything like it, it was true of motorcycle riding as well, as I, as I recall, but I won't go into that, um, that you come to something late in life like that, it's like, Help me not uh, do anything really stupid and just show me the way. And I'm just going to try really hard not to get outside of that. And then I'm going to learn how to swing the... And, that, and, and you try not to make mistakes. You're just trying not to make mistakes. whole different way of looking at it, isn't it? I want to point out to you that when, when it comes to sharing your faith, that, um, that the only way you grow, the only way you strengthen, is by 
playing at, playing at? By going at it. By trying it. When was the last time you tried? Maybe you tried once and you failed. You thought, well, won't do that again. Why? It's not how a kid would go at it. A kid would just keep trying, keep learning. That's how we, that, it seems to me like that's how, how we're meant to go at it. And uh, interestingly enough, I don't know if you've noticed on these first two points, but neither one of them sound like self-help. So if you thought it was going to be a good motivational self-help sermon, what have, what have we said so far? What, what is it that's going to buoy you up in the midst, midst of a sinful society, a sinful sin city? What's going to buoy you up? One, partnerships, the church, being with other Christians. Yeah? And the second thing, getting out there, sharing your testimony, working for the gospel, taking it however it comes. Thirdly, we can be buoyed by fruitful ministry for Christ. That sounds way more hopeful, doesn't it? So from this point forward in the book of uh, uh, I mean, in, in the city of Corinth, Paul seems to turn his attention. He so much as says that he's turning his attention to the Gentiles. It says, and he left there and went into the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So this became his base of operation from what we can tell is, is the home of this Titius Justus guy, whoever he is. He's a, a worshiper of God. Now, what does that mean? How many know what a worshiper of God in the, in the context of Acts means? Yeah, so it means somebody that was a Gentile, is a, you know, still was a Gentile for that matter, but they'd gone from idolatry, or at least some level of idolatry, and, and out of some level of curiosity or further, they start actually worshiping the God of the Jews. They, they, they start worshiping the God of the Scripture, but without fully converting. It doesn't say that he's a believer, but all indications are given this level of hospitality. Because what he's really doing is he's letting his house become the first church building in Corinth. Paul's going to work out of that house. That's going to be the, the place in which that the church actually gets, to, gets, to, um, gets its foundation. Then we find out that though Paul is going to the Gentiles, all at once, isn't this funny, sometimes when, it's the moment you go the one way that the other way works out, because right at that moment, we have Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. It says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, which would be high standing, wouldn't it? Um, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So what does Luke want us to know? Despite the fact that Paul had some uh, failure, if you will, with the Jewish people, yet he had an incredibly fruitful ministry where? Sin City, Corinth, the, the, the deepest, darkest place. Isn't it weird and, and so God, you know, such a God thing that right where you're talking about the most decadent, wretched cesspool, that it's right there that the gospel flourishes, that people hear, that the, the Gentiles hear, and even Christmas and, 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 and probably some of the other Jews come to believe in Christ. In usual fashion, those who believed in the Lord were quick to receive baptism. And I just, I just want to say as an aside, without really making this a sermon about baptism per se, baptism does not save you. We've, we've, we've established that. However, however, you know, we're saved by grace, God's grace in the gospel, in Christ, through the cross and the resurrection of Christ. In, in the gospel, we receive grace through faith. So we don't access it by baptism, we access that we lay hold of it by faith. But then having believed, 
we then identify ourselves with Christ. It is, it is that sort of first major public profession sanctioned in the Scripture. You come to Christ, you, you've trusted Him, you tell people, you get up in front of the congregation down at the river or if it's in the church or wherever, and you make a public profession of faith in Christ. You identify with His death and burial and resurrection. And that's all happening there in Corinth. And so we have First Baptist Church of Corinth in the house of Titius Justus. Um, yeah. Not everyone will experience fruitful ministry like that. Can I just say that very quickly? Uh, we're not apostles. There are differences here. We can't take everything that happened uh, with Paul and say it will automatically happen with us. But let me say a couple of things where we, where we can latch hold of this and take hold of it for ourselves. First of all, we are all called to ministry. Every believer within the church is called to this or that, some ministry, because the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, has given every person at least a gift to be exercised for the mutual edification, the building up, and the work of the ministry. So everyone has some ministry. So everybody can in some ways relate to this. And also, I want you to think about it, that, that, that you not think about this strictly just by yourself alone, isolated, just as an individual but rather we should think of this in a kind of corporate way. If we're talking about fruitful ministry, don't simply think, what am I doing, you know, Joe Blow, to have a successful, fruitful ministry? I mean, certainly include yourself in that, but think of it in terms of the people of God. The same God who ordered the events that brought all of this together where Aquila and Priscilla just happened to be in Corinth and yeah, this and that and, and Titius Justice you know, just happened to have a house next to the synagogue and he just happened to be a worshiper of God, just happened to come to faith in Christ and all of this started working together and then all of a sudden the gospel is being heard and believed upon. The same God that, that order, orchestrated and ordered all of those things is the same God who is at work in our midst. And we need to embrace that. Not, again, not just individually, but corporately. This, this church, this, this church that you are part of, is having fruitful ministry, and, and you are part of that. And anything and everything you can do that, where God has gifted you to connect to that, don't see yourself as passive. Don't see yourself as just an observer or somebody as an audience. You know, we don't call this a stage. Some people will, but it's not a stage, right? It, this is not a performance. We are the body of Christ. You are part of that body, and you get to be part of fruitful ministry. And when you, get, and when you sense that, when you sense this is really what, that, that you're engaged in this and you're part of this, I mean, you could have been a cook in the army, I don't know, Camp Lejeune, someplace like that, and when, when we got victory in Europe, I think that guy probably celebrated and thought, we won. Yeah? <laughs> Even though he's cooking back here. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, th there is there's a sense in which the, 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 the joy... Of, of the Christian life within the body of Christ is, is that we are part of fruitful ministry that God is doing. And it's not, it doesn't have to just be through that one little part that is, that is I. Yeah? You tracking? 
Can't tell. Okay. Fourth and most explicit item of encouragement comes up next, and that is we can be buoyed up by the fellowship we have with Christ. Paul has another vision. I don't know what it is about Paul. He seems to have his share of these things. I think we can what, figure with all the Scripture that maybe he's had three or four of these total, these visions that where he sees Christ and hears from Christ. And, and this is what he says, what Luke says. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city, who are my people? Now look at that. Don't, don't take that away just yet. But look at the comfort that Paul is being given here. Do not be afraid. And there's three reasons he tells them not to be afraid. The first one is a universal, it is always true. The second two are circumstantial to that exact situation. And may not always be true for Paul. And may not always be true for us. He says, don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Here it is. For I am with you, for I am with you. Is that the universal or the circumstantial one? Universal, isn't it? How many know the Lord is with them today? Based on the scripture, not just this passage. You're like, well, aren't there better passages to, to land on for that? Well, I don't know. How about Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a little King James going on there, <laughs> I will not fear, for thou art with me. Thou art with me. I'm not going to fear. Thou art with me. What does Jesus say to his disciples as they're going to go out and they're going to be his witnesses in the world and they're going to be like sheep among wolves? What does he tell them? Lo, I'm with you always, always, even to the end of the world. We take hold of that. As always, Paul can keep his head above that level of, of anxiety because he knows Christ is with him. What I find weird here, weird, not weird, I, unique to this situation for Paul at least. <laughs> this is a rare time when Paul gets to experience a eye in the storm kind of labor. How must that have felt to Paul? I think Corinth was like Paul's vacation in the New Testament in some ways. It's like his Vegas vacation. Um, he goes to Sin City, but honestly, so many things work and line up and, and, and go well for him. And here, he's not going to get stoned, kidnapped, beaten, thrown into prison, made to fight uh, wild beasts. He's not going to endure any physical near-death experiences there. He's not going to be attacked. He's not going to be harmed. How many feel like Paul must have been pinching himself about three months in, going, okay, when do the stones start flying? When am I going to get it? <laughs> when are they going to put me in stocks and stick me in a deep, dark dungeon or whatever the case may be? I don't know, I don't, and I can't say why, but in God's providence, Paul gets a time of just relief from that, a physical relief. And Jesus adds as well that he has many people in that city. Now, what does that mean? I think he's talking about the elect. I think Jesus is saying, even before you start preaching, Paul, I know those who are mine, my sheep know my voice. I have other sheep beyond this flock that I must... I think that's who he's talking about largely. He might also be talking about some of the magistrates that act in a relatively just fashion here in that sense. But, but yeah, Paul's ministry then becomes this, this eye in the storm phenomenon where he just gets to preach to those that, that, that will come. Paul is not a shrinking violet. Paul knows what it's like to suffer for Christ. 
In fact, from the book of Philippians, we know something about Paul's attitude about suffering. Do you see anywhere in the New Testament where Paul looks like he's trying to escape suffering for Christ? He's like, man, I thought that was the gig when I signed up for it. And he even talks about longing to share in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. He wanted to know the intimacy of knowing Christ and, and the fellowship of Christ, even, to, even if that meant, and by all means if it meant, suffering with him. He wanted that. And yet, in Corinth, God gives Paul this year and a half of just, yeah, of of freedom from that pain. Whether we walk with Christ in suffering or hardship, again, that's circumstantial relative to Corinth and not true of the rest of Paul's life. So as we apply it to ourselves, we can't say, can we, whether we're going to get the one or the other. Are we going to get um, Antioch, or where are we going to get Corinth? Are we going to get uh, Philippi, or are we going to get Corinth? See, I, I, don't, I don't know where else I can bring up except Corinth. Corinth was kind of the one exception, it seems like, to the rule. We don't know, but we know that wherever we go, the Lord will buoy us up because of his fellowship with us. That's the bottom line. That's at the end of the day. That's, what we, that's the take home is that we rely on the fact that Christ is with us. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus invites every person with ears to hear, come to me, come into relationship with me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Paul's great comfort, whether his circumstances were stormy or sunny, was that he was in relationship with Jesus. He was yoked with Jesus. And Jesus says to him, hey, buddy, I'm with you. Do not fear. I am with you. Whether it's Corinth or wherever. Are you buoyed up by your fellowship with Christ? I don't know what you're going through right now. And I I, I know largely what as a country we're going through, and it's not good. Maybe you're really afraid you're going to not have anything in that retirement fund here pretty soon. I've had that thought go through my head. Maybe you're literally at some point going to fear that I'm going to either have to feed my kids or put gas in the car so I can get to work. Whatever it is, this is the truth of the gospel. Not the only truth of the gospel, but it's attached to the gospel. That is, not only that we have been saved from our sins, but we've, we've been saved because by faith, with the operation of grace, we have come into fellowship with Jesus Christ. We are in Him. And so, He is never taken from us. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's the bottom line. And let that fellowship on, uh, of Christ on that personal level also permeate how you think about the church. If the, if the greatest comfort for you in, in tribulation is the fellowship of Jesus, and if this is the body of Jesus, where do you want to be? Where, do you wanna, where are you going to be supported? Where are you going to be held up? so that you don't drown in sin city. Okay, finally, finally we can be buoyed up in faithful work. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. 
Sometimes just one little phrase, one little sentence kind of jumps out at you, and you just, ah, it's just, it's just, it's simplicity just kind of speaks to you. I love that. Uh, he's, he's the, he was there a, a, a year and a half, and, uh, and he taught the Word of God among them. I love that picture. That's Paul. He's, he's there. He, he just gets the chance to lay out the gospel for 18 months. Have you been paying attention as we went along? How many times Paul just like, hey, here's you. Oh, I got to go now. Bye. You know, year and a half, a year and a half, he gets on it and he just preaches. And we know there's this great harvest. Have you ever had something you really wanted to do and you couldn't get to it? A project, men, ladies. It's Father's Day, so I can say men. Um, but no, you know, I'm so, well, I've never been a farmer, but I can imagine what it must be like to be a farmer. And uh, especially like if you're getting in toward that, you know, starting to get toward July and the wheat's in the field, but, but maybe it's rained uh, unusually and gotten wet. And you're like, ah, oh, oh, I got to get out. I got to get. Why do you want to get out there and work so doggone hard? Hey, man, take it easy. It's not, life's not that hard. Why, you know, why do you want to get out there, sweat and toil and labor and, 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 and have sleepless nights? That seems like a dumb thing to Oh, I get it, because that's the harvest. That's the harvest. And then you find, and the, and the weather just clears in the right way. And it's like, buddy, get the combines. Let's get out there. And you work, and you work from dusk till dawn, and then beyond dawn, and into the wee hours of the morning, and you turn the headlights on. Because why? Because now, all at once, I've been given this opportunity to get on it and stay on it. And you're satisfied in that, aren't you? Maybe it's a home project for the rest of us. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I'm working so hard. It's, but man, this is the, this is the work you love because you're seeing all the stuff go into the granaries. Yeah, you're seeing the silos becoming full. Christ had many who were his elect, and Paul just hits his stride and preaches the gospel, and the kingdom grows. Now, maybe you look at that and you go, but Pastor Jay... I don't know what that even begins to feel like. I have never been an evangelist. I've never, to my knowledge, led anyone to the Lord. I feel like I've labored and labored and sweat and toiled, and I haven't seen anything. What am I supposed to do? How do, how do I respond to that? And I said, well, what, is, what does the Scripture say? It says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. Why? For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Again, don't think of it only in this isolated little way that, that as, especially as Americans, we tend to individualize so much down to a level that we shouldn't. If you are part of the body, if you're part of this church and the church is being fruitful, then that, then that goes to your account, if you will. That, 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 that fills your silo, if you will. It, it, it should be satisfying to us. I mean, we have missionaries around the world. We have missionaries who are reaching literally unreached people groups who have never heard the word of God. We, we support people like that. We have vacation Bible schools coming, and there will be children from around this city, some of whom come from uh, unbelieving homes, and they will hear the gospel. We have an Awana ministry. They hear the gospel. We have people come in who've never heard the gospel. Last week, I know there was such a one who didn't, 
didn't really know Christ, came in, heard the gospel. The gospel's being preached. Yeah, is it hard ground? Are we, are we not seeing what Paul saw, saw in, in, a, in, a, in that sort of virgin field of Corinth? No, we're not seeing that. But our labor in the Lord is not in vain, and there's a harvest, and, and we just need to take this to heart. You're like, well, I was really hoping for a motivational sermon today and something that would make me feel better in my own private life. And uh, you failed, Pastor Jay. You haven't done it. If, if this is a mo- little motivational talk for you for self-help purposes, I realize this is a complete and total bust. But what if God doesn't think the way we do? What if God's whole idea of, of what we really need are, are, are spiritual things that have to be seen in the light of the gospel and the gospel people? What if that is how God intends to buoy us up in, in the middle of a sinful, you know, Corinthian place like, like what Paul was experiencing? I, I, just, I just put before you today that this is where you're going to get the most satisfaction. It's in those things that God has ordained for your satisfaction in the work of the church, in the work of the ministry, in that fruitful labor, in bearing our testimony consistently, in sharing partners, partners in the gospel. That's where you're going to see the most joy. Now, maybe you're one of his people, but you don't know it. You say, I'm not even sure that's a possible thing, Jay. See, Jesus said, when he, to Paul, he's like, I have many people in this city. I submit to you that many of the people, when Jesus says that, are people who had not yet heard the gospel. They were, they were Christ's elect, and he's telling Paul, you're going to have an incredible harvest here. I got many, many people here. So you could be one of those people today. You've just never come to Christ in faith trusted him and and found salvation. And so we just hold them out to you today. If you don't know the gospel of Christ, that word that Paul kept proclaiming and proclaiming and year and a half, he just kept, kept preaching the word, kept preaching the word. That gospel is simply this, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And we are all sinners. We're all sinners. He came to save sinners. He died on a cross as an atoning sacrifice for man's sin. He was laid in a grave. He rose the third day. And if you, forsaking everything, if you turn away from your own self-will and rebellion against God and sin and idolatry, if you just turn away from those things and look to Jesus Christ and believe upon him, the scripture tells us you will be saved. And then you'll know you're one of his then you'll know you're one of his, and we will welcome you. And if this is the church that you get to be part of and you haven't been baptized, we'll baptize you, you know, and, and, and we will help you grow in, in the Lord and find, and we will be there as a partner to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we just see the grace that you had toward Paul, and we realize that although Paul's situation was certainly unique in so many ways that the very basic principles, Lord, that, that buoyed him up, are the very means by which you support us as well, that we can, we can rejoice that you are always with us, that you are in communion with us, in partnership, yoked with us, and we yoked with you, and, and that we are partners one with another and part of a great gospel labor. Help us not to grow weary in that, Lord. You know we are apt to do that, and sometimes we don't see 
We just don't see the exact fruit that we want to see. Lord, uh, grow. Grow your people. Help us to reach toward maturity that we might glorify you and use our gifts and our ministries um, for the advancement of the gospel. And, and I pray that even today, Lord, there might be just one person or more, but, but if there would be only one person, Lord, that would hear the gospel message and today turn, repent, and believe in Christ and be saved. That would be so wonderful, Lord. We ask you for it. We, we pray that we would see that kind of a harvest. And uh, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.